All right, I think we're actually going to get started here on the Orange Fizz post-game instant reactions Twitter space to Syracuse and Clemson. These two ACC opponents just played a barn burner down in Death Valley, 27-21. I know that final score is a tough one to stomach for Syracuse fans in more ways than one. And Jamie, I see you there with your request on the mic. I'll get to you in just a little bit before we open the floor to our first speakers of the day. But let me just open up with my first thoughts on this game. Then we'll we'll open the door to anybody who wants to chime in. The headline for this game that you should be printing in 10-inch bold letters on the front page of every paper in and around central New York is that Syracuse choked i don't feel bad for saying that i don't feel extreme for saying that syracuse choked this game there's a really a lack of a better word for it and a lack of discipline is to blame it's not talent it's not ability and it's not scheme syracuse did not lose this game today because of any one of those things SU didn't lose because it had to play against a bunch of five-star players and a bunch of NFL talent on the Clemson side, from Miles Murphy all the way on down on that defense. SU lost because it is a team that continually shows a lack of discipline under Dino Babers, and that comes back to him. So as tough a defeat as this is, that is our main culprit for today. And as positive as it is to see Syracuse hang around with Clemson, the final score doesn't do this game justice. And everybody in here knows that. 27-21, to before the season, I think you would have signed for a six-point loss to Clemson for whatever that meant to you at the time, whether that meant a good Syracuse team or a bad Clemson team. I don't think either of those two things are true, obviously not, with a top 15 matchup. But at this point in the season, with what Syracuse has accomplished, the goalposts have moved. So that only adds to the disappointment today. Big takeaway for this one is that Syracuse is obviously good enough to win. And it showed that it deserves its ranking in the top 25, in the top 15, entered the day at number 14. Big reason for that is Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader, dynamic duo on offense those two were tough to deal with today it's a tough assignment for any defense even the Clemson defense that has talent up and down on its front in its linebacking core had a little trouble with the secondary this year has Clemson but still you're dealing with a lot of talent on that end Syracuse obviously has players that can stand up to any in the ACC offensively and defensively And speaking of that, Tony White's defense played a pretty good game today, all things considered. I know a 17-point spot in the fourth quarter doesn't make it look very good, and neither do Clemson's rushing numbers, 60 carries for almost 300 yards. But DJ Uyunglele for Clemson looked awful in this game. 13 of 21 for a buck 38 and two interceptions. Didn't look comfortable, even with Garrett Williams banged up in this game. Not really appearing. Deuce Chestnut at one point left with injury. He came back on a gimpy leg. There's a lot to like there for Tony White's defense against a Clemson team that, of course, has guys who can beat you many ways. Oyunglele, Will Shipley. That lineup is a tough one. 
But unfortunately, White's defense down the stretch just ran out of gas. And that's what you saw in the fourth quarter. However, going back to the first point, Syracuse didn't lose this game because it's a less talented team. SU lost this game. And Jamie, I'll get to you in just a second. I really appreciate your patience. Wondering what you think about this point or anything else you want to say. The biggest difference between these two teams is that one of them is coached by an upper echelon, upper half ACC coach at minimum, and the other isn't. Dabo Sweeney is that upper echelon guy. Clemson didn't look all that ready to start the game today. It almost looked like a team that thought it would show up and just take down Syracuse, but Dabo Sweeney adjusted. He adjusted on defense to Garrett Schrader, who ran the ball pretty well in the first half and couldn't find anything in the second half. And Sweeney also rolled the dice, perhaps knowingly, with his backup quarterback. Cade Klubnick, the true freshman out of Texas, came into the game and only threw four passes, but ran the ball six more times, gave SU a wrinkle to deal with, and ran the ball fairly effectively on a couple key plays that he needed to execute. And on the other side, faced with these things that the Orange suddenly had to deal with, SU looked absolutely positively frozen at the wheel, dealing with those changes from Sweeney. Even in the third quarter, when SU had a lead, you could kind of feel them start to slide down the pole. So there's your big kicker for that game. There's the big deal. And I know it's rough to criticize Dino Babers when his team is 6-1 and one and started 6-0. and oh, But his team just lost. And it lost a game that it should have won and lost it for complex reasons, but a lot of them that still come down to him. All right, Jamie, you are on the clock here, my friend. What do you have to say about this game? Yeah, no, I, I uh, definitely agree with your comments. It's a really good summary. I think, uh, on one hand, personally, I'm a, a fan of Dino Babers in terms of, I think he's a great motivator. He's a really good guy, but... Uh, I mean, Sean McDonough was saying it. First of all, there's there's two minutes to go in the game. You stop them for fourth down before they go for the field goal, and you have your last time out. So you have to use it on defense, right, because they're going to run the clock all the way down. Um, on offense, you can save, you know, you can get a playoff five to seconds in between plays. And Dino inexplicably waits for like 30 seconds, which is about 25% of the remaining time in the game before he calls time and he ends up calling the timeout. Even McDonough's going, what is going on? That's just a total whiff is, was his quote. And it's just such basic math that you don't know that you stop it on the defensive side where you can't control it and the offensive side. So down at the end of the game there, yeah, they were in a tight spot because if you add 30 more seconds to the game, right, it's a different situation. You're not having to force it in there. It's a total. So, I mean, I think that's just an example of what you're talking about, like in the big moments and, and this is uh, this has happened over the years. It kind of amazes me when you have coaches that make millions and millions of dollars, and you hold your, you don't want your players to make the simplest mistakes. Yet, as a coaching staff, an experienced coaching staff, that you simply don't know things like that under pressure. That you've just simply got to take a timeout. I mean, any high school team knows to do that. So that that was my my first big one. The only other point to add, just uh, along with what you'd say, is uh, obviously that that hit out of bounds <laughs> was just ridiculous on third and. We had him at, what, third and 20 or whatever. Um, when I saw that play happen, you go, yep, those are the type of plays that uh, start, you know, the, the downhill turn to uh, to losing a big game like that on the road. 
Um, and then the other one, which is a little more nuanced, but, but uh, again, Sean McDonough picked it up is uh, you're struggling all second half and, and Tucker, like, you know, I think it, they said he had like, I don't know, five rushes the entire game. Um, I think he said he, Hey, he came out of the witness protection program in the last series when he finally touched the ball once. So again, in the whole second half, when you're struggling, you think maybe you, you find a way there, but the big one for me was just, if you don't know how to call a timeout at this level, at the division one level there, that to me is, is just kind of indicative of, I think what you're referencing of kind of the elite, you know, it's not even elite coaching. That's just like little, like middle school and, and high school we have, I'm down here in Atlanta, Georgia, watching football games all the time here. And that's just such a fundamental thing. It's amazing me under pressure that, you know, that stuff is not captured by the entire staff. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for speaking up there, Jamie. And I, and I really uh, it's almost like you're here with me and, and you can see what some of my notes were for this space that, that I uh, w- was looking at here, because we will get into kind of some of the things that happened to Syracuse in that second half, including the penalties, including some of the, the timeout stuff. But to your point about Babers, I, I agree with you that this is something that he has to remedy is decision-making in important spots just seems to trip him up in bizarre times. I think back to last year when we watched Syracuse come up with a team that was much better than people expected, but you left that season thinking that they had left some meat on the bone. And a big reason for that was because SU just made some of the most asinine decisions you could possibly think of in some of the games like Wake Forest you think back to the end of that game when Syracuse lined up to go for two and took a penalty and then kicked an extra point to go to overtime and then gave up a walk-off touchdown. Like Syracuse should have been ready from the beginning for its two-point conversion and then avoided getting walked off on by, I think it might have even been A.T. Perry by from Wake Forest last year. Um, in that same game against the Demon Deacons, you know, there was a penalty in that game, a, uh, a holding penalty, I believe it was, that Syracuse accepted on a third down in completion. It gave Wake another chance on third down. They converted because Babers explained after the game that he didn't want to let Wake's kicker attempt a 51-yard field goal. You know, the guy's longest was 49 yards. You expect him to know that, but instead, let's not make the guy try a 51-yarder. Let's give Sam Hartman another try to, to throw the football. So I thought that was one of the strangest sights during Babers' entire coaching tenure was the the look of him standing next to the official. And I think the, the phrase that I used tweeting on the fizz was he was standing prom pose close. You know, Babers practically with his hands on the guy's hips. You know, they, he could have probably smelled Babers' breath. He was so close to him. And Babers is just standing there. He's not screaming for a timeout. He's not using his hands. He's not trying to get his attention whatsoever. It's almost like he wasn't thinking about it at all. I, I don't understand what the thought process was there. And for context, this was Clemson's final offensive drive when they needed a first down to clinch the game, and it, they didn't get it. It was a little flat pass to the near side to the tight end. Will Shipley, I, I think, is, uh, is who it was for Clemson. And Syracuse came up with an open field tackle. And you thought, all right, great, you know, call that time out. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And Sean McDonough did have a good game. You know, you mentioned what he said about that because he was calling out 
a lot of the things that Syracuse was doing wrong. It seemed like as the game wore on with every passing play, McDonough would notice something that SU was doing that was strange, that was incorrect, that was averse to game sense, or that was overall just stupid. The Orange really did it to themselves today. They're kind of like Charlie Brown. They've been stupid before, but today they really did it. And I see LG, you're in here, Liam Griffin, one of our Orange Fizz contributors. LG, we're talking uh, SU and Clemson, as you might expect, and we've had uh, some pretty contentious points made. Overall, I'd like to yield the floor to you and just uh, ask about your thoughts for this game. What do you have? Floor is yours, LG. Carter, thanks so much. And as I'm walking away from where I was watching the game, I hear a house blaring music, and I just think to myself, not the mood, my friends, because I feel like my heart was just ripped out from inside me after Syracuse falls to Clemson. 27 to 21 and Carter you've probably seen the takes on Twitter too it feels like deja vu from 2018 right you're up double digits on the road in Death Valley Clemson brings in their backup quarterback and lo and behold the Tigers find a way to get it done and it's just disheartening you know because 7-0 would have felt a heck of a lot better than 6-1 and Carter I'm feeling it right now man I really am Yeah, tough one, no doubt. And it's funny that you should talk about 2018 because McDonough and the broadcast crew invoked that on the uh, ABC broadcast. They talked about the 2018 team. Obviously, this is the best squad SU has had since that year. And the score only slightly different from that game. It was Clemson 27, Syracuse 23 back then in 2018. And that that was a tough loss for, for SU at the time. Obviously, that was a game that Syracuse kind of had in its hands so so we had seen this movie before not just for Syracuse struggling against a good Clemson team but you'd seen this movie before watching a program that has lost a lot of games over the past 20 years and change and has lost plenty of games against good teams the win against NC State just a week ago was the first Syracuse victory over a ranked team since the 2018 bowl game against West Virginia you know, that was that was breaking new ground. Maybe a top five victory was a little bit too much to ask. But I mean, before we get on to some of the other stuff in here, I, I have a little bit to say. Well, I say a little. It's more than that about just some of the things that that Syracuse did down the stretch in this game that has to be talked about, uh, including some key penalties. But first, you know, let's talk a little bit about the numbers in this game. Garrett Schrader, I think, had a solid game against a good team but his problem was is that he got worse as the game went along and as you see Syracuse got shut out in the second half you would expect that but Schrader 18 of 26 for 167 yards one touchdown and one pretty bad interception even at the end of the game Syracuse had a chance there a very slim one because I think Clemson probably watched the Purdue tape and learned its lesson not to single cover around a Gadsden with 10 seconds left and the end zone in sight but Schrader thrown into triple coverage to end the game, staring down Gadsden was kind of the, the worst part of his brand as a passer. We, we've seen over the past two years that he does have a tendency sometimes to look down guys. And he's made some poor decisions 
over the past couple weeks. The Virginia game, he made some mistakes. The NC State game, he probably got away with at least two interceptions that should have gone maybe to the end zone all the way down the field that the Wolfpack didn't snag. And then today, Clemson picked him off only once, but it mattered quite a bit. And then Schrader, 21 carries, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Sean Tucker, five carries for 54 yards in this game, and that is probably your biggest statistic of the game, and I'll have more to say on him later. I, I think there's a there's more to him that we'll get to a little bit later in this space. So I will bookmark Tucker for now because there's a lot to talk about there. Aronde Gadsden, six catches for 86 yards, and it was more of the same for him. He had a pretty solid game. You know, he's playing against a good defense in Clemson, a defense that tested him. But he made some important catches. He made some catches in single coverage. And overall, he continues to look like a very valuable weapon to this offense that really lacks a lot of them. Trevor Pena, four catches for 14 yards. Devon Cooper, two for 27. One catch he didn't make ended up being pretty important, but we'll get to that in a minute. And Damian Alford, one catch for 22 yards on that last drive that kind of looked like and felt like for a minute like it might have been a little bit more magic. You know, two straight games, he's making a catch in the final quarter of play that helps SU stay alive in a game. He had that big-time reception against NC State on the play where Schrader looked like he stepped over the line of scrimmage, ended up not being so, but Alford caught it anyway. This time a great toe-tap job on the sideline for 22 yards. Unfortunately, it was not meant to be. On the other side, DJ Uyunglele has had a pretty good season so far. He came into the game with 17 touchdown passes, two picks, but he kind of looked like himself last year, not this year. 13 of 21 for 138 yards, two interceptions that eventually got benched. He also fumbled the ball on the 90-yard Jihad Carter scoop and score on the fumble that Marlowe Wax forced. And then going down the Clemson lineup, Will Shipley, leading rusher, 27 carries for 172 yards, two touchdowns, had a long of 50 on that second touchdown. And Clemson really ran the ball with impunity today for really the first time we've seen a Syracuse opponent do it. Entering this season, the Orange with the new-look defensive line, I think, worried a lot of people with how they were going to be able to stop the run. And it really hadn't been a problem so far, even minus Terry Lockett after the Virginia game. But today was your first blueprint game that Clemson provided. You know, a couple defensive linemen had pretty solid moments. Steve Linton had that sack. Um, Caleb Okachukwu got into the backfield a few times. But overall, ground and pound for Clemson worked pretty well. And I think that going forward is going to be something that we see other SU opponents do. And then finally... Clemson receiving game. Didn't have a lot of players make big-time catches today. Antonio Williams led the team 5 for 30. Joseph Ngata 3 for 50, the inverse of that stat line. So, overall, for a game SU hung around in, you wouldn't expect Clemson to have outgained the Orange 450 to 291. But when you look at that stat, you sort of understand how Syracuse eventually fell. Even after Syracuse had four takeaways which is just a jagged pill to swallow. I don't know when the last time Syracuse lost a game in which it forced four takeaways and eventually did have one. But I don't know when the last time Syracuse lost a game in which it forced four takeaways, period. It would have looked worse had it been four to nothing, but four to one is still pretty dramatic. You know, Clemson doesn't turn the ball over four times very often. 
you know, Dino Babers has played Clemson pretty close over the years, and he must know something that he shared with Tony White today on the defensive side because they played Clemson quite well. They took advantage of some of the things Clemson was doing on offense to force those takeaways, but lack of capitalization is your name of the game. And part of that problem, which I'll use to segue into the next big section here on the space, the biggest reason Syracuse could not capitalize on any of those takeaways or seemingly anything good it did on the day was because of penalties. 10 penalties for 88 yards, double digits again for Syracuse, a team that came into the day leading the ACC in penalties per game. SU came in today tied atop the conference with Virginia Tech with 57 penalties. But Virginia Tech, prior to today, had already played seven games. Syracuse had played six. So per game, SU is doing worse than the Hokies. And you would believe it if you watch today because there were some flags that were big time important in this game. And LG, I know you have something to say about this. What do you have, my friend, before I get into the whole sequence of how Syracuse let this one slip away? Well, Carter, you kind of teed me up because Syracuse, in all honesty, did let this one slip away. Yeah, sure. The officiating was taken into question, but when you look at what Syracuse did in the second half, particularly regarding their lack of discipline, then it makes complete sense why they lost the game. A late hit on a third and a million that gave Clemson an unnecessary first down. By the way, they went on to score on that drive. The pass interference on the third and long. That cost Syracuse time to run a better play. Oh, and by the way, Clemson kicked a field goal later on the drive as a result of it. Penalties have been a problem for Dino Babers really his entire time at the helm, Carter. And we saw it in full force today. And really it's been a it was a problem last season too. You look at you look at the weight game as well. So when I look at that, I think to myself, how how is this team six and one considering week after week they get penalized left and right? Granted, this team has deserves to be six and one. Granted, probably should be seven and zero given how they played in half number one. But Penalties were the name of the game, particularly in the second half, Carter, and that ultimately ended up being SU's downfall. I would agree with you there, and there is a lot to say for Syracuse's final 22-23 minutes of this game. So first of all, my take on this and it may differ just ever so slightly from ULG. I think I think it is mostly the same. But Syracuse lost this game in part due to penalties because the ones they took came at awful times. And I don't want to hear about the late hit on Garrett Schrader out of bounds that wasn't called. I'm really not interested because at the end of the day, those things happen. Syracuse probably held Clemson a couple times and it wasn't called. Um, I don't believe in home cooking. And I, I really think that Syracuse, if it wants to be respected and it, and it wants to move past its recent past recent 20 years 
of being a bona fide college football loser, it can't whine about penalties that weren't called. I'm sorry, but it just can't. However, there are some penalties in this game that Syracuse took that were called on the orange that undoubtedly played a part in the result. That is not a fault of the officials. It is a fault and the fault of Syracuse's players who did it. Now, that's a fine line to walk. The officials are not to blame, and the players who were penalized did not single-handedly lose the game. I want to make that abundantly clear, both of those points. But there are a couple plays in here that are important. One of them, the biggest, we'll get to in just a moment, LG alluded to it, was the late hit out of bounds that kept the Clemson drive alive. But even before that, SU didn't make plays when it had to. And that is a reason why it lost, along with the penalties. You can, you can join those hand in hand. And it starts, in my opinion, with a play that might not get talked about very much. It's the Devon Cooper drop on third and nine with 7.43 to go in the third quarter. A ball that might have left him with a chest indent for life because it hit him so squarely right in his rib cage beyond the first down sticks and just gonged off his chest padding or whatever he had underneath there. He might've been wearing a pinball bumper under his Jersey with how forcefully it bounced off of him. But what would have been a Syracuse first down instead ended up being a fourth down that cost the team momentum. Even after the defense came up with an interception, on DJ Uyunglele on the ensuing Clemson drive, Syracuse didn't capitalize. So there you have two chances. Cooper drops a ball. You get the ball back after an interception, and you punt very quickly, I might add. But a big play in this game, and I feel bad for him because his name's going to come up in every recap of this game now and years down the line. But we have to talk about Elijah Fuentes Cundiff. With a minute 33 left in the third quarter, it's third and 25. DJ Oyengale has been chased from the game. Instead, Clemson's backup quarterback is in the game. It's Cade Klubnick, a true freshman out of Texas. And the guy was just going to prom months ago, playing high school ball. Now he's on Clemson. Now he's playing number 14 Syracuse in Death Valley. Third and 25, he looks like a true freshman. He runs out of bounds on a play where he can't afford to start cutting the field in half right away. Instead, he rolls out too quickly, can't find anybody, and he has to take virtually no gain. But the Syracuse player who comes to the rescue and who extends the Clemson drive is Elijah Fuentes Cundiff, a redshirt freshman on the defense, with two tackles on the season and four games played this season, and four combined tackles in two seasons. Perhaps forced into the game because of how many injuries SU's defense has accrued over this season, down a lot of names from Stephon Thompson to Terry Lockett to even Dennis Hawkes. Derek McDonald hit the field a little bit in this game. He was out. Garrett Williams was banged up. Deuce Chestnut left the game. 
a lot of names in there on defense who you might not have expected to be in in the Clemson game in preseason. Elijah Fuentes Cundiff is one of them. His late hit on Cade Klubnick on that third and 25 is by win expectancy on ESPN as well. And just from the eye test, one of the biggest plays in the game. And as bad as you feel for a guy who doesn't really play, and as much as we can defend him by saying that he did not allow the ensuing touchdown that came seven plays later on what came to be a 15-play Clemson drive, he does deserve blame for that play because Clemson stayed alive. It gave Klubnik life. It kept the crowd into the game. They roared when they heard the official announce that penalty. And it was painfully apparent that Fuentes kind of felt terrible about it. And you felt sorry for him. I wasn't entirely convinced that it was all that late a hit. But at the end of the day, he made a choice. He made that kind of contact with Cade Klubnik when he was running out of bounds. And in his stadium... With an official right there, that is going to be called. So that is not on the officials for calling that on him. And that penalty did not single-handedly lose Syracuse the game because even after that, Clemson scored, botched a two-point conversion. It's still a five-point game. All SU has to do is go down and score some more points and dust it off. But instead, we later come to find and reported by ESPN or not ESPN, the, the sideline reporter in the game for ABC, rather, and the, ABC, the, the game broadcast, that Syracuse's body language on the sideline is down. And Fuentes Cundiff was one of those guys because the television kept cutting to him and everybody kept looking at him. And, you know, for, for a team that for so many years struggled how to, to learn how to win, that was a bad feeling to, to see him down after that mistake and feel man, that might be it, right? You know, here we go again with with a mistake. That play, that penalty, according to ESPN's model of win expectancy I mentioned earlier, dropped Syracuse's probability of winning the game by 10% on one penalty, 85.4 to 75.4. And I know that's just a figure. It's just a model. But... From humans all the way down to analytics, robots who have no bearing or emotional attachment to the game, the the machines and the electricity that goes through the conductor chips and the microchips to calculate that in the computer, both that system and the humans who watched the game knew that that was a terrible play that cost Syracuse dearly. That's your big-time penalty in the game that, that cost the Orange. Of course, there were others, right? The, the Chris Bleich hold on Aronde Gadsden's catch later on in the game when Syracuse is desperately trying to claw its way back onto shore from the freezing waters it was starting to sink in in Death Valley. That was a poorly-timed penalty that Bleich has really just can't take that. You know, that can't happen. For a guy who's been on the line for quite a while. So those couple plays in there from Devon Cooper to Fuentes Cundiff 
to Bleich's hold to Isaiah Johnson's pass interference that ended up not really hurting Syracuse, but, you know, from the time that was brought off the clock from the extra plays that Clemson ran on that drive, even after it was stopped, those matter. And it comes down to coaching. And it may surprise you to hear that Syracuse was not the most penalized team in the ACC last season. Because watching this team, you sure would have believed they were last year. Syracuse has always taken a lot of penalties under Dino Babers. But SU was still top five last year in penalties. This year with 10 more, unless Virginia Tech just shanks its next game, SU is going to lead the conference and is still going to be behind the number of games that Virginia Tech has played. So it gets back down to coaching. And I want to move a little bit on to a big point to do with that that I mentioned earlier, a guy bookmarked in Sean Tucker. I struggle to understand the thinking that the coaches undertook in this game as we talk a little bit about Sean Tucker here on the Orange Fizz Instant Reactions Twitter space. And feel free, anybody listening in, if you want to share your thoughts or speak up about this game, be happy to call on you and let you know that your time has come to speak, as long as we keep it civil after such a frustrating loss. But Sean Tucker in this game, five carries, 54 yards. Along of 23, and for those of you who aren't mathematically inclined, that's over 10 yards a carry for Syracuse's star sophomore back who has had a couple hundred yard games this year, had the sixth highest single game total in program history against Wagner, had a 90 plus yard game against NC State and looked pretty solid again today. Why he vanished in the second half of this game is anyone's guess. Because as Clemson ran the ball with consistency and ran the ball 60 times in this game for 293 yards, Sean Tucker carried the ball twice in the second half of this game for 15 yards. He was last seen in the game catching a pass on the final drive for a first down. But he was awfully conspicuous by his absence in this game. And a point I made while running Twitter for the Fizz in this game, live tweeting the game, is that we cannot hold Dino Babers to a double standard when it comes to his offense. And what I mean by that is that when things go great for the offense this year and when things look good, we say, man, this move to hire Robert and I as the offensive coordinator was a masterstroke. He's a genius. He kind of looks like a librarian, but boy, he has got the goods and this offense looks amazing. And then when things go poorly, we tend to say, man, I don't know what Dino Babers' offense is doing here. Same old stuff, can't block, bad play calling, and that's on him as a head coach. It's not fair to Babers to do that in this game because I struggle a little bit to understand what Robert and I was cooking by giving the ball to Sean Tucker only five times in this game and twice in the second half. Clemson looked dead set on not letting Syracuse beat it through the air. And for a Clemson defense 
that entered the game with a low-ranked pass defense. Coming into this game, Clemson third worst in the ACC against the pass. And the Tigers have had injuries in the secondary, but the point remains. Clemson looked intent on shutting down Syracuse's passing game. And I think with the low figures and low level of involvement that Syracuse's receivers had outside of Aronde Gadsden, you can see that they accomplished that. Trevor Pena, Devon Cooper, Damian Alford all had very quiet games. Courtney Jackson put up another zero. No catches in this game for Jackson, who entering the year we all thought was going to be some kind of slot weapon. Goose egg today. So instead, with struggles in the passing game, Garrett Schrader is your leading rusher in this game, both carries and yards. He carried the ball over four times as much as Tucker did, but averaged seven fewer yards per carry, 10.8 to 3.4. Schrader ran the ball pretty well in the first half, but Clemson adjusted. The number five team in the country tends to do that during halftime. When an opponent comes in and does things pretty well, Dabo Sweeney and company are pretty good at shutting things down and making you adapt. And Syracuse did not do that very well. Schrader was still running the ball in the second half, sometimes by design, sometimes out of desperation. But why Syracuse kept trying to throw the football when Sean Tucker was racking up seemingly five, six, seven, ten yards a pop is baffling. At the very least, with Syracuse in the lead, 21-16, to 16, Tucker should have gotten the ball more. It was bizarre to see him uninvolved. It seemed like he spent more time in motion today and on swing passes than he did in the run game. So, I'm not quite sure what the game plan was for Syracuse coming into today, but it's clear to me that whatever it was, the Orange didn't adjust enough. That's your big takeaway. So even after solid performances by Schrader, Sean Tucker looked pretty good in the very limited time he had. Instead, Syracuse drops one in Clemson, 27-21, to a gut-punch loss for the Orange and Dino Baber's squad taste defeat. For the first time this year. Before we move on to our wrap-up topics, Ryan, I see you here. Let me get you on the microphone and yield the floor to you, my friend. What do you have? Hey, Carter. Thank you so much. I just wanted to say that, um, you know, it, I think Liam and you kind of put it perfectly into perspective. You know, in your initial statement when you said, when or when I should, should say that Liam said, you know, this really feels like deja vu and. I couldn't help but think that, you know, while I was watching the game that I didn't, you know, necessarily see this coming, you know, in the first half, I mean, we're at halftime and I see all these, you know, fans on Twitter just saying, Oh my God, it's 21 10 at the break. And I just, I just had such a bad feeling about this. The only thing that I think that hasn't been brought up yet and hasn't been talked about, you know, enough. And I tweeted this when I initially realized it watching the game was how much Syracuse didn't force Clemson to, to throw the football when Klubnik came in for Iungale. And, you know, they had done such a good job at, you know, limiting him in the air and, 
they kind of just let Will Shipley just run all over them and didn't force Klubnik to really throw the football at all. And when they finally did, you know, he he kind of struggled to complete, you know, a big pass. I mean, that deep ball was an accurate throw, and it could have been completed for a touchdown. Um, the one he threw uh, deep down the field that got called for a pass interference. But I just don't think they they forced Klubnik, you know, coming in cold in the middle of the third quarter. Um, I don't think they really forced him enough to throw the football. And they kind of just let Will Shipley just run all over them. And I don't know. I don't think that's been talked about enough. I think this defense played absolutely amazing. Four turnovers is is a massive success, you know, in any football game, but they just didn't throw, they didn't make a back QB. Um, no matter how good he is, they didn't make a backup QB throw the ball enough times. And they let Clemson who was down in a game, run the football in order to come back. So that's the only thing I, you know, I really have to say about, you know, strategy for the game. And uh, I appreciate you giving me the time. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And, and you know, you, you raise a good point. You know, Kate Klubnick only threw four passes in this game for 19 yards. And you're right. He, he came up small when he had to make a big throw. But the reason Will Shipley ran all over them and the reason Syracuse couldn't make Clemson throw the football is the inevitable reason that was eventually going to come back to haunt them. And that's that this defense has just been brutalized by injury tony white's 335 has never done an outstanding job against the run it is on its best day a bend but don't break defense that forces takeaways and you saw some of that today with syracuse forcing four turnovers but clemson is not a team that's going to lose its cool and stop running the ball if it doesn't have to Will Shipley, 27 carries, 172 yards, 6.4 yards per pop. And a lot of that work was just done in the middle of the field. We tweeted about it during the game that Syracuse really misses Terry Lockett. He, when he went down with injury against Virginia, you knew that the run defense was going to become a bigger problem. And over the weeks, with Syracuse having lost... Lockett and Stefan Thompson way back and with Garrett Williams hobbled for this game, Derek McDonald got banged up. Leon Lowry was a surprise to even play today. Uh, Kayvon Darton, by the way, who was into this game, he had a difficult time stopping the run. I, I think if you're going to pin blame on any one player, Kayvon Darton did struggle in the linebacking core today, you know, sometimes playing up on the line, sometimes playing uh, back against the run. But he, especially in the first half, he jumped out to me as a guy who looked like he was running on sand. I mean, he just could not, like, he, he couldn't get to the carrier. Um, he was slow to the ball. I thought that he did not have a very good game. And when you're already shorthanded on defense, especially up the middle, you can't have a poor performance from any component of your defense. And unfortunately, I don't want to pick on Darton, but he jumped out to me as a guy who did not have a great game. And Clemson's offensive line just shoved around the guys who were in. You know, Elijah Fuentes Cundiff 
his penalty in this game was especially surprising because you looked up and you had to figure out who had just done it. Ordinarily, he's not in the game, but Syracuse was on the field a lot on defense. And with that number of injuries, SU had to get creative with the guys who were in there. And I think Clemson just took great advantage of that with the run game. So ultimately, if you look on the stat sheet, Clemson could have lost this game. Four turnovers, did not play a very good game, two fumbles, two interceptions. But the Tigers outgained the Orange by over 150 yards, 293 rushing yards for Clemson. The Tigers had fewer penalties. They had more first downs. They converted on a couple key fourth downs. They got enough on third down. And they forced Syracuse out of its game plan, and the Orange didn't adjust. So getting back to our main headliner point to this entire space as we near our wrap-up point, Syracuse lost this game mostly due to a lack of discipline, but because Syracuse's coaching failed in this game in multiple ways. Penalties are a big part of that, but the lack of adjustment is another. And I know that is a charged statement to make when the team was just 6-0 and and was just up 21-7 to in Death Valley and obviously showed that it could hang around with a team as good as Clemson. But the cruel reality is you have a right to say things like that. We all do because Syracuse lost the game. And when Syracuse loses, we look for reasons why that happened, just like we do when Syracuse wins. And to me, there's no bigger reason why Syracuse lost this game than that it's coaching let it down. That's as big a reason as any. I think that Elijah Fuentes Cundiff is going to get a lot of flack for this game, and I pity him. He's worth mentioning in the story of the game, but he does not deserve Steve Bartman, Bill Buckner treatment, or even Andre Schmidt treatment when Syracuse lost to Clemson last year with a field goal he missed in the final seconds. Fuentes Cundiff doesn't deserve that. He's a part of this game, but he didn't lose the game. And I think Dino Babers will say something awfully similar to that when he's asked about some plays in this game, including that penalty on third and 25. So as we get into the final stage of this Twitter space here on Orange Fizz, this is Carter Bainbridge, one of the contributors for the OrangeFizz.com, formerly OrangeFizz.net. Just want to remind everybody still in here, and we appreciate you sticking with us, that if you want to speak up and offer any final thoughts, we will yield the microphone to you, and you can speak your mind after SU's first loss of the 2022 season. But as I get into some final thoughts, I'll try to strike a tone here. I've been thinking about how I want to do it without sounding patronizing and without sounding like a Kool-Aid drinker. But it is worth mentioning and worth keeping in mind that Syracuse is still 6-1 and one and is now proven it can play with good teams. If SU's coaches had kept their heads today and made some adjustments and managed the clock and done some other things that they had to do and didn't, yes, SU could be 7-0 and, and could have won the game. 
and could be in better shape going to play its next opponent in Notre Dame inside the Dome next Saturday. But Syracuse's season is not over. SU is still 6-1. and one. It's not going to drop out of the top 25. The Orange are still going to be a top 20 team because Syracuse just played Clemson as well as any team has this season. Yes, it's a game the Orange should have won, but six-point loss to Clemson is not the worst thing in the world. It doesn't feel good, but I contend that with Syracuse football, a program that is not a blue blood by any means, this isn't basketball, and that has gone through so much nonsense and dumpster-tier football over the past 20 years or so, but especially the last decade or so, emotional investment and occasional pain is a good thing. Yes, it feels bad that Syracuse just certifiably shanked a game it should have had. Number 14, losing to number five by six points is tough, but it shows SU belongs with better teams in the top 25 and that people care. This is what legitimate college football looks like. If you were to look at number 14, losing to number five by six points in another box score, with two teams you don't care about, you look at that as good college football. Outside of Syracuse, people aren't going to treat this like it's SU falling off the tightrope and it's going back down the drain and it's going to be five more years before Syracuse has another chance to get to this point. But it's telling that Syracuse and its community feel this way about the team. Because this is as entertaining and as promising a bunch as has been on the Hill in years. Even the 2018 team felt pretty plucky. In hindsight, it was a pretty good team. And I have a feeling we'll think the same thing about this year's squad. Because at the end of the day, it's not worth getting upset about the hypotheticals for next week. There is no guarantee even if Syracuse had won today, that game day would be coming next week if SU had won. Notre Dame is not that good and has lost a couple pretty embarrassing games this year. Game day can always lean on the SEC to provide it a pretty promising environment. I'm not sure that Syracuse and Notre Dame would have moved the needle that much for next week. So I hope that whoever listens to this either now or in the future isn't too broken up about that. Syracuse can still play its way into a New York New Year's Six Bowl, I should say, if it continues to play well and if it wins games that it should win down the stretch. Because now your biggest test is over. Clemson's the best team you're going to play this year. Lose to them by six? It's not the end of the world. Syracuse didn't get exposed today as anything. It's coaches were put on a stage that they couldn't come through on. And that is part of the embarrassment of the loss. But those things happen. That's football. And all you can hope for as an SU fan is that as the games go on, somehow coaches learn from those mistakes. And Robert and I might have to adjust more 
Dino Babers may have to call that timeout when he's standing face-to-face with an official instead of burning 30 seconds. But to get to this point with a banged-up squad and to play Clemson down to the wire is still a promising thing. And like I said, I don't want to sound like I'm some message board troweler, like I'm just spitting out the company line. But there are takeaways here that are promising for Syracuse. Overall, a loss is a negative, and the way Syracuse lost the game today is brutal. But in my opinion, Syracuse should very well still be favored over Notre Dame next weekend. And that is a sentence, if you take a step back and diagram it, that no one thought we would be saying prior to this year. Yes, Notre Dame is not that good. It's not as good a team as everybody thought. But Syracuse is going to get a lot of attention for that Notre Dame game. It's going to be Halloween weekend. It's going to be an interesting time to be on the Hill and a great day to come back to the Dome, especially after a tough game today. So as we wrap things up here on the Fizz Twitter space, I really appreciate everybody stopping by. And shout out to Jamie and Ryan for speaking up in this call. You guys both brought great points to the table. I'm really glad to uh, to hear your thoughts and to work with you in this call to ping pong some things back and forth. But we're going to wrap things up because we've been going on long enough. Clemson 27, Syracuse 21 is your final today. SU let one slip away, but the sky is not yet falling in Syracuse because the 6-1 and one Orange are back inside the Dome next week against Notre Dame. And just a reminder, folks, Orange Fizz will have coverage of that Notre Dame game on Twitter and with a post-game Twitter space just like this one. So make sure to tune in for the or- to theorangefizz.com for our articles, for our podcasts, and to lock in next Saturday when SU takes on Notre Dame inside the Dome because we'll be right here and we will be eager to hear your thoughts. Thanks for tuning in. That's going to wrap things up for us on the Orange Fizz space this time.